Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series, Blast from the Past, a study through 1 Samuel. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. When I was in fifth grade, there was a boy named Jeff, and Jeff liked to bully me. I'm not sure what his last name was, but I'm going to refer to him as Jeff the Bully. He was much bigger than I was, much meaner uh, than I was. Um, I don't remember anything physical that he would do to me, except sometimes he would cut in front of the line or uh, push me occasionally on the playground, and uh, sometimes he would actually follow me home. Uh, he would steal the milk money. It's kind of an oldie but a goodie for bullies. Uh, it was only 10 cents back then, but it was still 10 cents, and I did without milk a few days. And he, he would just bully me. He would, he would ruin my day. I would think about him before I'd go to bed at night, and I'd think about him when I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd think about him all throughout the school. He sometimes would tell me that he was going to beat me up on the playground after school, and you know, that, that could really mess with your mind when you're trying to take a test or study or stay focused. Have you ever had a bully in your life? You raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah? A few of you. I didn't like Jeff, needless to say. But it got worse. I mean, he would even follow me home. And um, my mom, I remember very vividly, my mom was going through some health issues. And she actually had gained some weight. And he would actually call my mom fat. And uh, he would uh, make fun of me as a Christian. I remember inviting uh, my friends uh, from school to church events, similar to what we're doing with Cave Quest. And he'd find out about that. And he'd make fun of me for that. And um, he found out my dad was a pastor, so as he passed through with, 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 with one of his friends, they would always kind of sing the hallelujah chorus when they went by my house, and I just, I hated life for a little while. I don't know if any of you have those, those moments in your childhood, but I did not like fifth grade. A couple of kids that lived down the street, Tony and Greg were their names, they were eighth graders, and it didn't take them long to figure out what was going on. It may have been the hallelujah chorus or something, but they... They actually uh, one day said, hey, what, we want to teach you karate. <laughs> so I said, what do I do? Come on over to our house. So they'd open up the garage, and they had a bag in there, and um, they said they were black belts. So uh, looking back on it, I don't think they were black belts. <laughs> but they punched harder than me, and they were bigger than me, and that's all I needed. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, I don't even think it was karate that we were learning, but uh, it was the first time that I had done these kind of things, and uh, I sweated a lot, and we took breaks, drank water, and watched Bruce Lee movies, and that was my, that's my karate background, uh, so don't mess with me, all right? <laughs> and I remember that uh, 
Jeff, one day as he was walking by, um, I wouldn't go straight home. I'd go right to the garage and I would train with Tony and Greg. And Jeff stopped by, Jeff the bully, and he looked in. And at about that time, Tony and Greg left our training session and went to the curb and had a few words with Jeff. I don't know what was said, but Jeff never bothered me again. I don't think it was my martial arts skills. I think it was more of their fear of Tony and Greg, the eighth graders. But I still remember that event. I still remember the conflict that that had in my life. I still remember the internal conflict that it created in my life when I was going through it. I say that to, to just say to you, I, if you've ever been bullied, I know exactly how you feel. And uh, you don't have to be bullied to be in the midst of conflict with other people, even today. Some of you today, you wouldn't call it bullying, but some of you have had some problems at work with your coworkers. Maybe a coworker. Uh, really throws you under the bus during one of your meetings in the boardroom and just keeps doing it and, and it just seems to wear on you and you think about it at night, you think about it in the morning on your way to work. Maybe others of you have had a friend that has walked away from you in your time of need or maybe a mom and dad that have, that have failed you. Maybe it's a friend that you've confided in with some very important information and they turned against you. Or maybe it was a coach at one point that took you off the first string and benched you because you believed it was a foolish reason. Maybe that it was a teacher that graded you poorly and had treated you poorly in the classroom for no apparent reason. Whatever you do, whatever you're going through, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have to conflict with people. And I would make a bet today that most of us in this room today are having conflict with another person. So as we continue this series, Blast from the Past, where we're looking at 1 Samuel and the book of 1 Samuel, this is a very relevant message for all of us in the room because we all face conflict just like David was facing King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to look at, at 1 Samuel 24 and 26 today, so you're going to have to listen fast. That's two chapters, all right? We'll get you out on time, though. David, at this point in the story, has been pursued by Saul in many different situations. At one point in 1 Samuel, Saul is actually using David as target practice with his spear. At another time, he is, he is coming against David and his soldiers, and he is diverted by some Philistines, fortunately, because he was right on David's tail. And here we see in 1 Samuel 24, Saul has handpicked 3,000 of his finest soldiers. And he has David pinned in a cave with 6,000 soldiers. So he is in a cave with 600 of his soldiers, and Saul now is pursuing David and has him right where he wants him. We see this over and over again that David is trusting God and he does right in God's eyes. God is faithful and he delivers him. But in this chapter, we see the most detailed, interesting, and I believe sometimes overlooked story in all of 1 Samuel. But it tells us some interesting things about how to face conflict. King Saul arrives here at this area and it's called Wild Goats Rocks. I'm not sure who named that, but it's a, quite a name. And to all of David's men, it is probably now in this cave feeling like this is the end. David, who is supposed to be the next king, is probably not going to be that king. 
His men are sitting in this cave, probably somewhat dejected as they sharpen their swords for one last fight before they all die. This is where they are. You say, what does this have to do with me? I, have you ever had your back against the wall and you are not sure where to turn, whether it's a bully or whether it's a coworker or a family member or a coach or whatever, you feel like your back is against the wall and there's nothing that you can do and that's where David is. And here is the lesson I want you to learn from today. I'm gonna tell you right up front what we're going to learn here from David. This is the lesson. When facing conflict with another person, do the right thing and leave the outcome to God. When facing a conflict with another person, do the right thing and leave the outcome to God. I love that song, Surrender. Literally, this is what you do. You, you let God take care of this and leave it up to him. And that's what we see in 1 Samuel 24. Let's begin with verse 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave. Saul went in to relieve himself. You read that correctly. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of the Lord. When he said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. We're going to take this chapter just like a good steak, bite by bite, because there is so much in here. And so these first four verses... I just want to just look at these truths that we find. The first thing is this, and it's obvious. King Saul leaves the troops, goes into an area away from these 3,000 men, and he goes to the restroom. You read it correctly. Don't you love the Bible? It's all in there. All of our failures, all of our successes, restroom breaks, it's there. So King Saul goes in, and he goes number two. That's what he does. And, and can you blame him? He's with 3,000 men. And then he does what all of us do when nature calls out in the wilderness. We leave, and we go into a secluded place. But get the picture. He goes into what he thinks is a secluded place. He goes into a cave. And as you go into this dark cave, his eyes have not adjusted. He doesn't know what's in there. And he goes to the restroom, and why he's going to the restroom, 600 men are watching him, including David. The very man that is king, that is fighting them, is now going to the restroom. And David has a prime opportunity to take the throne. No pun intended. Right there. Some of you got that, some of you get it at lunch. His troops encourage him to take the life of Saul. Your enemy is at hand, they say, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now, before we blame David's men, let's ask ourselves, what would we have done in that situation? If you know that you're about to die, but everything turns, and you now have an opportunity to seek revenge, what do you do? 600 soldiers. Saul has 3,000. 
And the king comes in completely vulnerable. And David, without a peep, unnoticed, stealthily goes, takes his sword and cuts off a piece of the robe rather than thrusting it into the body of Saul. As I was reading this, I was thinking how sharp that sword had to be to cut off a piece of the robe without Saul knowing that he's doing it. What does that mean? That means that David spent a long time sharpening that, that sword. It was sharp. It was ready to do the job. And David only cuts a piece of the robe. We learned some things from this. Some of you are saying, well, that's no big deal. It's a huge deal when he cuts a piece of the robe. As we learned last week, the robe had been had been symbolized as a position. Matter of fact, last week we saw that Jonathan, David's friend, gave him a robe, which was an incredible act of humility. This was the position of Saul as king. One commentator said this, this robe was to be complete and whole. By removing the corner of the robe, David made Saul's robe to be in a state of noncompliance with Torah requirements. Saul's most obvious symbol of kingship was made unwearable. In essence, David had symbolically invalidated Saul's claim to kingship. Also, by cutting the robe of Saul, David was laying claim for the first time to the kingdom. By one cut, David had taken steps to take the kingdom by his own means rather than by a gift from God. You know, many times we do that, don't we? When we're in a situation and we take the initiative, it may not be a huge thing, it's just a little thing. It, it could have been worse, but we just, we just cut. We take one cut, and that's what we do. We cut, it, we cut people with our words. We cut people on social media. We sometimes cut people in the midst of a boardroom. It's not a big thing, but it's just one small thing. And David, what is David doing here? We learn from him, and I love this passage because it shows that David isn't perfect. Sometimes when you're reading Scripture and you hear about David, man after God's heart, own heart, you're like, he cannot even see my life and how fallible I am. Actually, David makes mistakes, and we see a mistake that he made here. He takes the initiative on his own, and he cuts the robe of Saul. So the first lesson we have when facing conflict is this. Number one, when facing conflict, listen to your convictions. Verse five says this. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. His conscience bothered him Verse six, so he said to his men, far be it to me, from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Look at verse five. It says that it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him. Up until this point of conflict with Saul, David had no time showed anything but faithful service to Saul. And he always did the right thing. Most of us would consider this is no big deal, but he, as he cuts the robe, he immediately is convicted that he had done a wrong thing. Let me ask you. When you cut at somebody, a person that is your enemy, a person that's always against you, and you cut at them, and you do something 
without asking God, is this the way I should do it? When you cut at them, does your conscience speak to you? Do you hear a, a voice that says, that, that's, not, that's not right? You see, that's what David did. And I just want to let you in on something. You may do that small thing, and at that point, that's the time to turn and to do the right thing. At that one moment. Because at that one moment, it can build and build and build and build and become a very big thing. But with David, he listened and he was convicted. The still, small voice of God. Are you convicted when that happens? Or do you say things like, you know what, I'm only human, you know? It's no big deal. You don't know what they did to me. It could have been a lot worse. You know, every person that I talked to said it was okay to do it. Everybody is doing it. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in fifth grade or high school, college, or late in life. There's always those times when we have an opportunity to respond with what God told us to do or to react and do our own man-made thing, our own fleshly thing. And that's what David did. But then he was convicted, and I want to learn from that. He was convicted. In that moment, those seconds, he was convicted. And when you listen to your conscience and you do the right thing, you become a man or woman of convictions. And you know what? We live in a day and age where very few men and women live with their convictions. You stand out like a sore thumb when you live your convictions. Everybody is doing what is popular. Everybody is doing what feels good. Everybody is seeking this counsel, this counsel, this counsel, but seldom do we listen to God and just do what he says. You know, if you want to be a Jesus follower, you want to boil it down to this, listen and obey, that's it. You want to be a Jesus follower? Listen and obey. Many of you in this room have signed up to be a Jesus follower. You have given your rule and reign of life to Jesus, the King of Kings. And if he is king, then you must listen and obey to him and him alone. Doesn't mean that you don't seek counsel. Doesn't mean that you don't think through things. You have a brain. You can think through things. But at the end of the day, I have found that many times what is common sense isn't what God wants me to do. You see, we live in a day, day now where common sense, what is common, does not make sense to God. And so you have to listen and obey and be a man or woman of convictions. And number two, when facing conflict, lead with courage. Look what we see here in 1 Samuel 24, verse 7. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible because it's the closest thing to what we see in Hebrew. It says, so David strongly rebuked his men with these words and did not let them rise up against Saul. Saul got up, left the cave, and went on his way. It says, so David strongly rebuked. You know, in the New American Standard Version, it says persuaded, but in the Hebrew, this is what he did. This is what this word says, David tore them apart with his words. You see, when you're a man of conviction and you are leading people and they are trying to stray you, send you on a different path and lead you astray and to do the things that you shouldn't be doing, it is that time when you speak firmly with God's words and it is okay in that point to tear them apart. This is, this is a kingdom at stake. 
This is no small matter. And David shows what a true leader is when he literally says, man, this is, let, me, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to do the right thing in this moment. And they go back and forth. You can just imagine what happened in the cave. I don't know if they were whispering. And Have you ever whisper yelled, you know, where you're whispering but you're yelling? That's what was going on here. The idea is that they were just going back and forth. And they were just, you can't do that. No, you, David, you missed the opportunity. You and they're going back and forth. And David stood his ground with 600 men. This is what we learn. Lead when it's unpopular. Lead when it's unpopular. David didn't do what was popular with men. When you lead when it's unpopular, I'm just going to tell you right now, you are going to look at times like a coward. You're going to look like a coward. But you will be popular in God's eyes. And that's the only thing that matters. Many times in your own house, men, you are going to look unpopular when you do the right thing. It doesn't matter what little Johnny thinks. You're the leader of that family. You're going to sometimes be unpopular. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you will not be friends with your kids, and that's okay. It's okay. Sometimes you will be unpopular at work, and that's okay. Sometimes you will lose your job over doing what is unpopular, and that's okay. At the end of the day, in the midst of a conflict, a man or woman of courage will do the right thing and leave the outcome to God. Lead when it's unpopular. And here's the second thing. If that wasn't tough enough, you ready for this? Love your enemies. A man or woman of courage will love their enemies. David here shows love and compassion and respect to his enemy. Look at verse 8. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. Now let me set this up. If Saul is in the cave that's dark, Saul now does his business, leaves the cave, and as he leaves the cave, obviously it's, it's bright, and David comes to the edge of the cave. That's where we are. Saul doesn't know David is there, and this is what David says. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Can you imagine if you see David prostrate prostrating himself on the ground. Saul turns around, sees David bowing. It was probably the first time that saw somebody in the distance just bowing, and he didn't know who it was at first. David, at this point, is showing humility, is showing love and respect to his enemy. I just want to take a time out there. For some of you, if I don't, I'm going to lose you. Some of you are thinking right now, you don't know my enemy. I don't. You don't know King Saul. But this is what David did. And at this moment, this is when you surrender and you say, I forgive. I forgive with God's power. I forgive and I allow God to take this. I give this problem and this enemy to God to deal with. And I'm just going to simply do what God says. And you say, I, I, I can't do that. I, there was a message I delivered on December 27th of last year called letting go, not let it go like Disney, letting go. And it was a message on forgiving, releasing, and blessing. If you're dealing with this right now, and you're at this point of this message, and you're saying, that guy doesn't know what I'm talking about, please go back and, and watch that message. It's on December 27th. It will help you begin to walk through forgiving 
and releasing and blessing. Well, David is a point now where he is moved with conviction. He's a man of courage. He is now going before his enemy, and he is bowing down to a very evil king. And here's what I found in life. It is easy to bow before those that are evil when we know that our king is not an evil king, when we know that he is in control and he is in charge. And when I bow before people with my words, when I bow before people with my actions that I don't like and are coming against me, I'm not doing it necessarily for them. I'm doing it for him. And I'm allowing him to work in and through me, and I'm trusting him for that action. So he comes and he bows before him. And I believe what you're seeing here with David is a foreshadow of what we see in Matthew 5 when Jesus speaks to those that, that are treating people good for good and evil for evil. And look what, look what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 43. He says, you've, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's a normal and common response. It's a normal, common response for us it is a normal and common response for religions all around the world. It is normal and common for Jews to hate their enemy. It's common. It is common for them to love those that are your neighbors. That is a common principle. I have a friend that is a rabbi, and that's a very common principle today. I have Muslim friends. It is a very common principle to hate your enemy and to love your neighbor. It is a very common principle. But Christianity is totally different. It is the only religion, and I don't believe it's a religion. I believe it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is the only faith where we are called to love our enemy. To love our enemy. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, this is how you, this is how you live. But I say to you in verse 44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So the rain comes down on evil and good. He loves, he loves everybody. We are to love our enemies. Let me let you in on a little secret. You may not know this. Do you know that you're somebody's enemy? Before we get really upset at that passage, you're somebody's enemy. There could be somebody in this room going, boy, I hope they're listening. You know? Somewhere in the world, somebody looks at you potentially as an enemy. This passage is for all of us. And what David does here is he respects him as a human being. He respects him as a king. And he bows before him. And we must show all people respect. All people respect. Not just as a Christian, but as a human being, we should love. But now, we are now sons and daughters of the king. We now live in a kingdom that is not of this world, and we are to love our enemies and trust God to take care of the results. So David now has the opportunity to share his heart to Saul. He is bowing before him. He is showing him respect and honor. And let me tell you, when you do that with your enemy you can now have a conversation with them. When you show them respect and honor, you can now talk to them. And this is what David does, and here's what I'm gonna do. Last night I was, I was really looking at this and pondering this, and, and I realized this dialogue between David and Saul that's about to happen can only be presented if I just read it to you. 
it is too powerful to try to preach it to you. So I'm going to read this dialogue, and let me just set it up. It is the longest dialogue in the entire book of 1 Samuel from David or Saul. So it's worth reading. It's worth taking in. And watch through the lens of conflict, even in your own life, and how you are to respond, and how, do you, how are you supposed to treat those that are, that are against you. And let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 9. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, indeed see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A a single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me on this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. I gotta pause there. This is the time when Saul verbally says what he knows in his heart. He says something to David as a turning point in the entire book. You know what? The kingdom of Israel is yours. And it's in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul. And Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. David bows before Saul. David reaches out. He takes the initiative. He speaks to Saul, and there is peace. He shows him love, and there is peace. Reminds me of a proverb in Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you are doing the right thing, and you are pleasing the Lord, and you are loving your enemies, there are many times when even your enemies will at peace with you. And I have to say, this peace between David and Saul was just for a short time. Chapter 25 comes, chapter 26, guess what? Saul has 
few thousand more men, and he is after David again. And some of you said, see, see, that's not, told you, that's not how you handle things. I mean, there's people here today. I know, I know what you're thinking. I get all this God stuff, but you don't know how the real world is. If you don't look out for number one, they're going to come after you. Listen, I know how it is. I've had enemies. But just because you're trying to reason it out doesn't make it right. And trust me, it'll be short-term. It'll be short-lived. Could you imagine if David had not done this? If David had not come before Saul and bowed before him? Those 3,000 men would have had David and those 600 men killed in no time. In no time. But every single step of faith that you take every single day as you confront people, if you do it in an attitude of love and respect and do the right thing and allow the outcome to God, God will show up and deliver you every single time. He may not deliver you the way that you want, but he will take care of you. So he comes to, to, to David and he tells him this. First Samuel 26 happens. The same thing pretty much happens. I can read the story to you, but let me just save some time. Go home and read it. This is what happens. Same situation. Not a cave, but a campground. Not a sword, but a spear. But David, in 1 Samuel 26, is more resolute, more strong as a leader than he was in 1 Samuel 24. And this is all I, I got to say to this. When you begin to walk in your convictions and you are a man or woman of courage, you will begin to strengthen yourself and you will begin to, 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 to live out the faith that God has in you and you'll begin to walk in the, in the kind of convictions that God has for you. When Jesus is in you and you're walking and obeying, it's easier to do it tomorrow than it is today. It will get better and better and easier and easier to be a man or woman of faith and to be a man or woman of righteousness. So you see a different person in, in 1 Samuel 26. David is now speaking with more boldness. He is walking with courage. And we come to chapter 26, verse 23, and we see really the, the end of this dialogue between Samuel and David. And this is the third point I have for you. When facing conflict, lean into God's promise with confidence. When facing conflict, lean into God's promise with confidence. We see this in verse 23. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all distress. So David now is at the point of saying, listen, I am highly valued in the sight of the Lord. And he is going to deliver me from all my distress. I don't care what you're going through. But you will be delivered. You will be delivered from what you're going through if you follow God's ways. You will. It may not make sense now, but you will be delivered. Here is David. Was he delivered? Absolutely. He became king and he received the kingdom. You won't become king, but guess what? You will receive the king. That's good news. You will receive the king. In Jesus Christ, we serve the king of kings and lord of lords. There is only one king, and he has his kingdom, and we are part of his kingdom. And it is our job as citizens of this kingdom to listen and obey our king. And listen to this. He cuts us into the deal of everything that's his. We are joint heirs with the king of kings and lord of lords. Everything that's his 
is ours. And you say, yeah, yeah, that's heaven someday. Yes, that is heaven someday. We will get that. But you know what? I believe that if you live by these principles, you will see on this side of eternity some blessings and some deliverance. I really believe that. I have found in my life, taking my own way and taking my own initiative, it never works out well. It just doesn't. But when I follow God's principles, when I follow what God says in his word, I have found that each time I see the kingdom of God showing up. You say, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus in action. Jesus in action. When I love my enemies, I see Jesus show up in a way that he would not have shown up had I not loved my enemies. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? For Jesus to show up on the scene? For Jesus to show himself? You know, when I think of loving my enemies, when I think of being persecuted, when I think of sometimes being bullied and feeling alone, I'm drawn to a story I heard just a few years ago about a church in Indonesia. It was a village outside the big city, and these believers were worshiping on Sunday, and they were attacked by radical Muslims. Many of them were killed, women and children, as well as the leaders of the church. After a few weeks, they came back together, and they did what believers do. They come together, and they worship their king. The radical Muslims came back. And they not only burned the church to the ground, but many of the believers within the church were killed. Over a couple of hundred. The leaders that remained of this church came together with other believers. And every time I tell this story, it strikes me what they did. They came together. They took an offering to rebuild the church. And as they were taking the offering, God spoke to them and told them to give the offering to their enemies, to those that had killed. They gave it to the Muslims. The money they were gonna use to rebuild the building that these Muslims had burned to the ground, they give the money to them, and the Muslims just began to weep. The Imam came to know Christ. Many of the Muslims in that community came to know Christ. Some of the radical Muslims that actually came against them and persecuted them came to know Christ. In the midst of that scene, a church, a little church in Indonesia shows us what happens when we love our enemies. They not only were able to see many people, many of their enemies come to know Jesus, people that God loves, but they in turn also were to see a glimpse of eternity. Those that had been killed, guess where they went? They went to heaven. Those, of us, the, those that were on earth were able to see a glimpse of eternity here on earth. There is something that happens when we follow God's principles and we love our enemies and we do not seek revenge, God shows up in his grace and his love and he will deliver you. As I preach this message and I search my heart, I was reminded of many times in my life where I was the bully. I said things to people I shouldn't have said. I, I said things face-to-face -face with people I shouldn't have said. I gossiped about people that I shouldn't, have gossiped, I shouldn't have gossiped about. I cut at people's reputation that I shouldn't have cut at. That's happened many times in my life. And it never worked out good. But I can tell you a few times, there were a few times when people that I deeply, deeply 
disliked, and at times hated. God turned my heart. God allowed me to do the right thing in the moment and to leave the outcome to him. And I, I can tell you that my life is completely different because of the people that once were enemies that are now my friends. My life is completely different now, and my life is completely different in eternity. My marriage is completely different now, and will be, and, and, and our relationship is completely different for eternity. My relationship with my children are diff, is different now, and will be for eternity. The ministry that God has for me now is completely different because I chose to do the right thing rather than hating, rather than taking a conflict in a way that I wanted to take. I know this is a tough message for you. It's a tough message for me. But I can tell you this. There is a promise that awaits his children. There is a promise that awaits his children. When we do the right thing, God will deliver. I don't know what you're facing today. Some of you, it's a coworker. Others of you, it's a marriage. Others of you, it's a church situation that you're dealing with. There could be some kids here that are bullied just like I was. It's tough. But there's only one way to proceed, and that's to love. That's to love. Love always wins. Always.